Father, again, we thank you that uh, through your word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the fact that you have sought to reveal what your word says to us and you've given us illumination, that we understand that you remove kings and you raise up kings. Father, thank you that you have given us as believers wisdom. You have given us understanding, even into the future. Lord, thank you for prophecy. Thank you that we know that every part that has been written down will come to fulfillment. Lord, may our hope, may our peace, may our joy be found in what you're doing in this world. Not in this world itself, but the fact that you are in control. And Lord, may we just lean on you when we go through dark days, that we would truly rest and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say you're dismissed. Is there an ending hymn? Okay. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Is the computer on? Okay, great. Daniel chapter 2. I, uh, this last week, I don't know why, but I felt gloomy at the beginning of the week. Kind of blue. Even a little depressed, I guess. Just not so much of the election, that's part of it, but just also... Just what's happening around the world. What's happening in America. What's just... Seems like you just see the cracks and crumbling all around you. Back one. Someone here was telling me, I, he said, I felt like it was like uh, I was grieving like after a funeral. You know, you have that time period afterwards where you just grieve for the loss of the person. I feel like that about America. Um, now, again, you may not have the same sentiment I have. Um, but the point is, is this. As you go to Daniel 2... You know, again, and what revived my heart really was Daniel chapter 2, because what you see there is God has given the interpretation, not just the uh, dream, but the interpretation of the dream and how everything is going to play out. And there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of peace, it gives you new perspective, you know, it gives us a perspective of looking to Him and not our circumstances for our joy. And so I, I'm just very excited about presenting this today because, again, uh, I think for all of us, and again, you may be on either side of the political scene, but the point is, is this, you know, we have to all agree that this world is crumbling, right? And whatever your situation is and whatever your solution is, let's just face it, our world is crumbling. And yet, um, God says, I'm nothing to worry about. <laughs> Didn't catch me off guard. Uh, everything is under control. So, we come to Daniel. Primarily verses 31 to 49. Now again, Daniel at this point, he's taken to Babylon between 14 and 16 years old. This is just another couple years later. So he is probably before 20 years old when he's doing the interpretation. He's probably around 19 or 20 years old at this point in his life. Now that's just perspective. Here's a man who has been taken away from his land, his family, everything he knew uh, to be comfortable is in a very wicked kingdom. Babylon has been through three years of intense Babylonian thinking, i.e. Babylonian University, and yet God is using him mightily. 
as a man who is less than probably 20 years old. Now again, there's a predicament in chapter 2, and that is verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He had plural, many dreams, but they all were about the same dream. and just that they were reoccurring, because you see that in verse 3. And my spirit is anxious to know the dream, singular. So God kept allowing Nebuchadnezzar to have this dream over and over and over, and it was just as it were, terrorizing. I mean, you might say, well, what, what would even get him set up for a dream? Most likely, Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about, because this is the answer to, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, dream, uh, the answer is, let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. And most likely, Nebuchadnezzar was pondering, what's going to happen to my kingdom? It's interesting that when you get something, now you start wor- worrying about what? Losing it. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is probably worried about losing this future kingdom. What's going to happen to the kingdom? And he has this, these dreams, and he, um, he basically brings in his, uh, his wise men and the Chaldeans and anybody that was in the know. You see a list of them in verse uh, 10. And basically says, listen, I want you to tell me the dream, and then I want you to give me the interpretation. Now that's a predicament, because if you don't know the dream, <laughs> and is able to tell me the interpretation, there's going to be some very, very bad things that happen to you. And you can re- we read about that before. But again, Daniel, basically, when, he was, when they went out to kill him, because the, the wise men of uh, Babylon said, well, we can't do that. It's impossible, only the gods. And so they went out to kill Daniel. Daniel said, hey, give me some time. Give me some time. And not I, but the God of heaven will be the one that gives the interpretation, the dream and the interpretation. You see that in verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven. What did he do in a crisis? He prayed. And as soon as it was answered, because we see in verse 19, the secret was revealed, the second thing he did after the crisis, he prayed, and then he praised the God of heaven. And that's where that famous statement, verse 21, he removes kings and raises up kings. God is in control. And really, the entire book of Daniel is about that. Actually, the book of Daniel is, we often think that Daniel's the the main character. It's God. God is the main character. He's the one that brings down kingdoms, brings down kings, and raises up kingdoms, and raises up kings. So he praised and blessed the God of heaven. But then he gave the reason why, and that's why we want to pick up. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, Well, actually, let's just go to verse 28 for time's sake. Verse 28, it tells us why. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to you, known to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. And I told you last week, you might want to highlight that. Verse 29, what would come to pass after this? What? After the Babylonian Babylonian kingdom. And then finally, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Those, see all those three ideas saying, listen, man can't tell you, your false gods can't tell you, but there's a God in heaven who's going to tell you what's going to happen, not only to the Babylonian kingdom, but then all other kingdoms until the very end. Actually, this, this, this right here will take us right to the end of earthly time. This image will. So he gives us the purpose. That is the purpose of the dream. That is the purpose in one major way of the, of the book. And so he gives us the actual dream in verse 31. 
You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image, this massive image, whose splendor was excellent, was bright, was brilliant, was shiny. You know, that's the idea. The word excellent means shining bright, uh, brilliantly. Stood before you, and its form was awesome. It inspired awe. It inspired fear. <laughs> and so he names it. Do I have it? I'm not sure. By the way, when the music, or not music, yeah, when the music was playing, and, and the and the um, the one frame went ahead. And I think Cody was looking like he was like, what's going on? It was because I accidentally touched the button. <laughs> and, and what they might have done at that point is like, you know, shut the power off to me. Like, like you can have your little, uh, your little remote control, but it's not going to do anything. You know, women, women, you should do that for your men. Uh, uh, you, know, like, you know, like they're at home and they're trying to, you know... And, It was a brilliant image. But then he gets into some specifics. This image, the head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms was of silver. Notice it's not just the chest, chest and arms. That's important for a moment. In a moment. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And so you have the, and then I even included the rock that was going to smash it. Now, again, there's some things that you want to just consider. There's a deterioration factor. You go from gold to iron. It's deteriorating in brilliance. By the way, the top is heavier being gold and silver than iron and clay. It's top-heavy. It's unstable. See, these are just kind of general thoughts. This, these, are, these are the five world kingdoms that were going to be taken over over the, the next thousands and thousands of years, primarily all around uh, pointing at Jerusalem. In other words, these were the kingdoms that were going to rule Jerusalem or have great influence on Jerusalem and Israel. Because again, it's Daniel talking to a king, but it was Daniel also ministering to the captives. Remember, the, why was Daniel there in the first place? Because Jerusalem had been ransacked, besieged, and there was captives that were taken to Babylon. This, this is considered the Babylonian captivity. It lasted 70 years. And so Daniel was there, not just to minister to an un, a pagan king, but to minister to God's people, to let them know, listen, God is not done with you yet. That God will never be done with you. But there's a deterioration factor. It's interesting also to notice that the feet were, it literally means like ceramic that's dried, it's brittle. Gold is, uh, you can form gold, it doesn't crack, but not when it comes to clay. So it's brittle. And, and you'll see in a moment how are the governments of this world are brittle. So it's, it has less... As you go down, it it, it is deteriorating. It has less brilliance. It is uh, top-heavy. It's going to be destroyed. There's just no... And what is he getting at? He's saying, listen, no matter how good man thinks he is, it's not going to last. No matter how good, no matter how much time you put into man's government, it's going to be destroyed. And you see this in verse 34. You watch while a stone was cut... 
out without hands. Without hands means it wasn't created. This is referring to Christ, which struck the image on its feet of iron and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. It works its way up. And became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. It just gets blown. In other words, the... uh, Oh, I got this, as long as I don't touch it. Um, You know, the rock hits the feet, but then everything is destroyed. Which is, again, referring to the second coming of Christ, the millennial millennial reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then he gets to the interpretation. Now, again, as I said last week, uh, Luke 21, verse 24 It says, Jesus speaking, And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Luke 21, 24, very important. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And what the times of the Gentiles are is this entire down to where the rock hits the feet. Okay? And someone asked me last week a very good question. They said, well, how do you know that the times of the Gentiles uh, haven't already been fulfilled? I mean, if you're defining the times of the Gentiles as the time when the Gentiles are controlling Jerusalem and Israel, I mean, let's face it, Israel became a state back in 1948. They have a a government of their own. They have their own army. Why would you say that that we're still in the times of the Gentiles? Well, again, I believe it started in 605 when, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and took Daniel and all the captives, the first phase. That's when it started. I believe that the times of the Gentiles will, not, will end when Jesus Christ comes back, touches down on the Mount Olives. Because at that point, the Gentiles no longer ruled Jerusalem, Christ will. It, but again, does Israel actually control the land? constant wars, even this week. I mean, most likely they're going to be in a major war here in the next few days. Are they in control of the Temple Mount? No. In fact, are they even a sovereign nation? They are and they aren't. It's a, it, I, I was reading an article and this was the header. This was the headline of this article. Quote, Israel has a right to defend itself against attack, comma, White House says. Now, do you see what they're saying? We're in control, and we're telling you, you have a right to defend yourself. That doesn't sound like a sovereign nation to me. Really, it ends up being that, that Israel is, in many respects, being controlled by the Gentiles, the UN, and everything else. And, you know, they're taking their uh, cues, in many respects, in some respects, from the Gentiles. We're talking about a time that's coming when nobody tells Israel anything. Why? Because Jesus Christ will be on the throne. Even the landmass. You know, you have this little speck of dirt called Israel. No disrespect intended, but it's only really one-tenth of what what God has promised Israel. I mean, if you go back into um, Genesis chapter 15, and then also Ezekiel, you start realizing that the land of Israel is supposed to go all the way to the Mediterranean and then south all the way to the Nile. It goes about 100 miles north of Damascus. It goes all the way to the Euphrates River. I mean, if you started adding in all the pieces of land, 
David Jeremiah said this, If Israel were currently occupying all the land promised, she would control present-day Israel, Lebanon, the West Bank, substantial portions of Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. On top of that, part of Egypt, you know, so you see the massive mount that God has given to this little nation. And right now, they're just in this little, little part, one-tenth, and being squeezed at that. Always being forced to give up more land. So, the times of the Gentiles, from 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem for the first time, all the way down to where the feet are ironing clay. That's in the future. That has not yet happened. That has not yet happened. He actually, uh, you can break it right down. Again, uh, verse 37, the first one, he actually names, tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar, well, you're the head. You're the head of gold. It lasted from about 605 to 539. We know that because then Persia, Medo-Persians, actually came in. I told you the story how they stopped up the Euphrates that ran through that great city Babylon, and they stopped it up on March, I think it was March, excuse me, October 16th, 539 B.C., stopped up the water, and the, the army came under the gate of Babylon and was literally able to capture the entire city in one night without, i.e., as it were, firing a single shot, although they didn't have guns. But no, it just, they took it over because nobody was watching the sluice gates, okay? So we know that the second one, all right, Babylon, Medo-Persia. Interesting, he says, not only the chest, but the arms. After, uh, you know, two, Medo-Persia. Then after that, sometime later, a couple hundred years later, actually in 331, we have this man, Alexander the Great, bronze, the Greeks, and, and uh, they're pictured in uh, Daniel chapter 7 as a, a leopard with wings because he was so quick. In fact, he died in his early 30s, having bemoaned the fact that there was nothing else to conquer. <laughs> but again, that's, that's, uh, they literally took over Medo and Persia. What's real important is this, not that they took it over, but see, Babylon was in control of Jerusalem, then Medo-Persia, because they took over Babylon, was, in, in, was over Israel and Jerusalem, and then Greeks took over Medo-Persia, and they were over, therefore over Jerusalem and uh, Israel and Jerusalem, and then Rome. So again, this is each one of these in 331 to 150 B.C., and if, again, I, I left it in your outline in the back. You have the, the actual... Uh, Image And then finally, the legs of iron and feet of clay. Actually, the feet of iron and clay. And that happened around 146 B.C. He says, And a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. So he goes through the first kingdom, and then there's a second lower kingdom, and then a third kingdom of bronze, and now a fourth kingdom of iron. Ancient Rome was noted for its use of iron in its military weapons. That's one of the reasons... Uh, God gave the image of iron. That's a, a picture of Rome. Second Daniel indicated that just as iron is able to crush gold, silver, and bronze because of its superior strength, so Rome would crush and shatter the ancient world. And that's what they did. I mean, they came in, and, and we all have no stories of the Roman legions. Just crushing. And it was interesting, if you do some research on how they set up their uh, shields, I always thought they set it up like this, you know, like civil war. They didn't. They did it like a scissor, uh, like a, a sawtooth. That's how they, that's how they uh, uh, marched. 
Because with the Roman soldiers, with iron, and they locked their, their they had two different types of uh, shields, but they had one that went almost all the way to the ground, and they had little locks, and they would lock them. But instead of walking straight, they walked at a scissor. And what they did is they just literally crushed the enemy because the enemy couldn't actually, you weren't fighting straight, you were fighting diagonal, and literally they would be crushed. They would be literally funneled into the end. And just and along the way, as they're trying to guard on the side, the spears were coming through on their side, not directly. And iron, uh, Rome literally marched all up and down the Mediterranean world. But notice this. It says two legs of iron. And what we find is because Rome was so big, they actually divided. They had a west, which was Rome. That was the center. And then they had the eastern part of uh, the empire, which was Constantinople, was the, uh, was the uh, capital. That happened after a few hundred years, actually after the time of Christ. So you had the west and you had the east. And, but there was two. <laughs> and the West lasted for a couple hundred years. Actually, the East, Constantinople, lasted until 1400 A.D. So again, two political divisions. The Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire. Now this is what's interesting. I put on your outline, this is stage one because, because it says iron, the legs of iron, but then it says feet of iron and clay. And you start saying, well, what's that? Let me see if I can get it. Oh, this was just the land mass. I found this interesting. That's how much Babylon controlled. Notice Israel. This is the most important part of the whole scenario. They controlled Israel. Then Persia came in. Now, that really expanded. Because you had this. You lost a little bit here, but now they're all the way to India. You know, it just kept expanding. That looks a little smaller, except there's a few parts that are not actually included. But actually, Greek actually went all the way here, and I think he went actually over in here somewhere. And then finally, Rome. Now, Rome didn't center itself over here, but now it took over all of this, everything around the Mediterranean, all the way up to London, Spain. That's why Paul, when he was on his last travel, was going there, you know. So, but again, right here, Jerusalem. Times of the Gentiles. Gentiles ruling over Jerusalem. Now, that all happened in the past, that all happened. But now, let's see here. Whoop, no, I shouldn't have showed you that. Well, no, this is good. But what happens is this. As Daniel's telling the king, he, is, he has just given him the first stage. Um, let me read this. The Roman Empire outwardly would disappear, and it did. The last remnants of it was 1400s, with Constantinople being... Uh, um, taken over. So it, 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 it's almost like this. It disappeared, but its laws, its philosophies, its institutions would continue until this very day, taking us down the path of the feet of clay. So even though they were destroyed, they weren't, because they're going to revive. There's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire. Do you remember that last uh, map I just showed you? All that around the Mediterranean most of all that is what we call the European Union. So, as Daniel looked, as Daniel looked, the first part of the vision, he saw the, the two legs of iron. And then he also saw 
the feet of iron and clay. What he didn't realize is those were not simultaneous. There was going to be this entire amount of time between the first iron, uh, uh, legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. Which again, it's taken hundreds and hundreds of years. And now we're in the final phase. You see the European Union coming together. You, see the, you are seeing the revival of the old Roman Empire. That's stage two. I put it in your outline as this. There's so far we've talked about four kingdoms. Four kingdoms. Four kingdoms. All right? You got Babylon. You got Medo-Persia. You got Greece. You got Rome. Rome disintegrates. First of all, they went into two parts, but internally they disintegrated. They were immoral and godly, and they disintegrated. First of all, Rome, and now they also have, I mean, Rome disintegrated around uh, the 400s A.D., and then you had Constantinople, the second part of the Roman Empire, the eastern part that finally succumbed about 1,000 years later, 1400s. I think 1476 or something like that. And that's, but now all of a sudden, and you have this whole time period where it's, that the, the image is there, but it's, it's, it's succumbed, okay? But now all of a sudden, stage two, we have the revival. By the way, ultimately, this is going to be the Antichrist kingdom. Verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. See, again, when you think of toes, whoops, I guess I've lost it. Oh, okay, there we got it again. All right, so we've got these things. This is a different slide, by the way, because here we say a prophetic gap. That's that, that difference between the legs and the feet, the prophetic gap. So we have, and that's the time that we're in now. Ultimately, the feet of iron and clay is going to start, is coming together. I believe it's coming together. Now again, ten toes. Ten nations. They used to say it's a ten-nation federation. Again, I personally believe it's not a, it's a ten-segment federation. See, what you have right now is like 27 different uh, units in the U- European Union, U- Union, and they all want to have independence, right? I mean, I, yeah, I might, be, uh, I might be from Ireland, but I want, I want to also be in the European Union. No, I'm Spanish. And they all want to have their own say. I think what's going to happen because of crises, most likely financial crises, is they're going to have to give up even more and more of their sovereignty, and what you're going to see is the European Union come together, but it's only going to be ten parts, ten toes. Uh, over in Daniel 7, they call them ten, um, ten kings. Ten regions that are going to make up the final European Union. And as we go into the, the end times, I mean the very end, and then finally Jesus takes us out of this world, then during the tribulation, it will be those ten regions that will conglomerate together to try to survive together called the, European, or called the revived Roman Empire. So, but, but just get back to the text, verse 31. It's divided, ten toes. Yet the strength of iron shall be in it. What do you mean? It's going to be strong in one sense, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom, now catch this, will be partly strong, but, but yet it's partly fragile. Because again, clay is very fragile. I don't mean mushy. I'm saying it's brittle. It doesn't hold up. It's not like iron going to be it's, it's not going to have a strong mixture in other words this kingdom is not going to be it's going to be strong in one sense but fragile in a very real sense 
because again, it's brittle. And as you saw, the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. It's just not going to last. Why? Because everything that man tries to create that's going to last doesn't. See, do you see what the picture is? And God keeps saying, but listen, you can trust in me, you can rest in me because I am the sovereign one. I control kings, I raise them up, I bring them down, and it's my, it's my kingdom that's going to last. Four decades ago, a man named Ray Steadman. Have you, any of you ever heard of Ray Steadman? Very godly man out in California. But he wrote this about this passage 40 years ago. Still true today. Quote, The interesting thing now is that every single nation of this Western Hemisphere was begun by one of the nations of the Roman Empire. We're the remnants of the Roman Empire. Why? Because, well, where did we, we come from? Well, a lot of what we do is uh, even England. Our entire Western world is Roman to the core. You can see that even in our own U.S. history. We have a Senate, which is one of the fundamental basis of our government, in which we copy directly from the Roman Senate. The re- very Republican form of the United States government is based upon the Republic of Rome. Our courts, our laws, our military all reflect the forms of the Roman Empire. Now, what is the symbolism of the iron mingled with clay, which is our present government? Well, it's iron. It's symbolized by uh, imperialistic attitude or form of government. In other words, power and might of imperialism, seeking to dominate and to rule. That's what our laws are about. That's what justice is about. But in some respects, it's like brute force. But what is the clay? This is what he writes. On the other hand, clay is the voice of the people, mankind. It's, it's weak. It's pliable. It's easily molded, yet brittle. In other words, we have the iron will of authority and the clay-like voice of the people. It's like the latest uh, election. And, and the big question is, what were the undecideds going to do? And undecideds, and that's all you heard about, the undecideds. Because we're very pliable, we're very fickle. Now, he goes on and says this. Most Bible scholars are right in identifying this as the principle of democracy. See, you didn't have democracy up here. You didn't have democracy here, you didn't have it here. You started to have it here with the Senate, and then finally in uh, one, well, what is it, 60-some, they gave uh, total authority to Augustus. The Senate did. But the point is, is these were not democracies, but in the end, see, it's not, it's not like a monarchy. We're, we're not, but we have this type of form of government. What's been interesting is this. Rome has, has uh, influenced all of the Western Hemisphere. And we all have these, these, these uh, democracies trying to raise its head up. And they're like iron and clay. The voice of the people is always a fickle voice. It is easily molded like clay. That is what politicians capitalize on. We are also subject to the tremendous pressures of mass media which play upon our minds to mold the will of the people. This is the weakness of democracy. So, what is the strength of democracy? Law and justice. What's its weakness? Now catch this. What's its weakness? Human nature. We're sinful. We're selfish. We're self-focused. It's hard to govern ourselves. We're proud. 
And because we're selfish, we many times are self-destructive. Now, you say, well, I don't want to come here to listen to a political message. No, it's not about political message. What I'm trying to get at is this. this, this these kingdoms have changed. It went from a monarchy. Now, all, the way, all of a sudden, we're down to feet. That's in the future, the feet of clay and iron. And you say, why is it, so, why is it strong and yet so weak? Because so much of the Roman influence has been passed down. And I think that's actually looking at democracy. Why do I say that? Because I think you see the European Union go into the tribulation and just like old Rome gave complete power finally to the emperor, I think you see the same thing with the European Union, the ten-nation federation, that, that ruling body of the world, it says, will give its complete power to the Antichrist. We can't, we can't rule ourselves. We need... Someone that can rescue us. Well, we've, that's the end of the fifth, or excuse me, the end of the fourth kingdom. Because again, remember, the iron legs and the feet of clay with iron is, is part of the fourth kingdom. And then we find the fifth kingdom. Look at verse 44. This is the millennial kingdom. And in the days of these, of these kings... Which kings? I think he's referring to the, the ten toes there. Not just all the, the, the ten toes. Uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Now he's going to set up a kingdom which shall. This is what the millennial kingdom is like. This is when Jesus Christ comes back. This is what it's going to be like. These guys could never get it together <laughs> because of the sinfulness of man. But again, there's going to be another day Notice the thing. It will never be destroyed. These are the char- There's four characteristics actually found in verse 44. It will never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. In other words, there's no other kingdom that's going to succeed it. Because with Babylon, it was Medo-Persian. Then it was the Greeks. Then it was the Romans. Now the stone comes, crushes it. There's nothing that's going to... There's no other next kingdom. Number three, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It would put an end to all Gentile kingdoms. And number four, it will last forever. (laughs) It will last forever. But why do we call it a... I mean, why uh, why did God, through Daniel... Why did he give him a a dream where it was a, a stone that was cut out of the mountain? I mean, that's kind of an odd thing. What do you mean a stone uh, that was cut out of the mountain? Again, talking about the eternality of, um, of Christ, that he was not created. One author said this. I think it was John Wolvard. Let's see here. All got to do with that. Babylonian theology associated mountains with things divine. Is that called a ziggurat? Thank you. You get the candy bar. Um... <laughs> I thought I was saying it right. A ziggurat. They called their chief god Marduk, i.e. the great mountain. Now you've got to remember, they were on a plain. They didn't have a lot of mountains around. So they would build these things, ziggurats. The whole idea was this is where the gods lived. Okay, now, when, when in, in Daniel's 
interpretation in Dan in the in the dreams interpretation a couple things came play out God portrayed his future kingdom first as a stone cut out of a mountain and second a stone this was back in verse 35 that becomes a great mountain what is he saying in all of this He's saying this, listen, you think your mount or your, your gods live in the things that you build. Let me tell you, there's going to be one who was not created, but he's going to be the God. He's going to be the true God. He's going to come and he's going to... Let's see here. That's actually uh, an actual one. And so all, he was, uh, all uh, God was trying to tell uh, Nebuchadnezzar was, you build these great structures because you think in there your gods uh, live. But there's going to become one, a stone, uh, one who is uh, cut out of the mountain. He's going to be the eternal one. And, he's going to, and because he is the eternal one and the all-powerful one, he is going to dash and destroy every other kingdom from this point on that had been built. So again, the kingdom of God, when is this going to happen? The kingdom of God comes when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth. The last stage of the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, will be, uh, will be under process. There will be ten kings, ten federation, uh, a nation, ten regions seeking to try to rule this world because of the sinfulness of man. They even can't do it. Ultimately, it's going to be the Antichrist who's going to take over. You see that all in Revelation. And then as Israel is basically being backed up against the wall and threatened their even existence, they're going to be annihilated by all the other kings. Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom. And it will last forever and ever and ever. And it says the wind blew away all the other remnants. So all the work for all these thousands of years that people have put into human government is just just totally destroyed. Let me just give you a couple final remarks. Again, number one, rulers at the present time are placed there by God. Again, chapter 221, he removes kings and he raises up kings. God is accomplishing his purpose. Even in what is happening in America, what is happening in Ireland, what's happening around the entire world, in Gaza, in Israel, everything's coming together because he's setting it up that finally Antichrist will seek to rule in the final kingdom and then Christ will come back as the final, final kingdom. Number two, we are rapidly approaching the end of this time period. Do you believe that? We really are. So invest your life in what will last because we are, I believe, at the very, very end. The the clock is ticking, the 11th hour, the 58th second. The kingdom of God is coming. Christ is the immovable rock. Number three, all investments in earthly kingdoms are temporary at best temporary why he pictures it even of today clay and iron temporary can't last even our best intentions of ruling ourselves ultimately comes crashing down and finally we will meet these king oh we will meet these kingdoms again in daniel 7 i find it interesting whereas this image was of a an image there you 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 see the uh the uh, the kingdoms represented by animals Babylon was the uh, lion. Medo-Persia, the bear with ribs sticking out of his mouth because he's just crushing everything. And the, the leper with the wings was Greece. And then we come to Rome and he couldn't even picture it. It was too ferocious. He, he didn't have any way to explain it. 
And you say, well, why? Why is in chapter 2 it's an image? Why in chapter 7 it's a beast? It's kind of how we look at the kingdoms. See, chapter 2 is our perspective. Think about uh, metals. They're impressive. Gold, silver. They sparkle. They endure. Iron. Now again, not, not clay, but you know, that's how we look at it. But you know how God looks at it? As ferocious beasts. And what do you do with a ferocious beast? A beast that is just full of violence and sin. It must be slain. That's why he, I think that's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, listen, this is how we look at the governments of the world. I say we, the, you know, humanity. But then this is how God looks at it. Like beasts who don't care about people. It's all about power. It's all about the struggle to survive and, and to have power over your fellow man. And he just looks at them like animals. What do you do with animals? You destroy them. Go one final uh, verse over in chapter 11 of, chap- of Romans. Romans, uh, Romans thir- or 12, excuse me, Romans 12, verse 11. So how should we live in this present day? Look at verse 11. And he's really talking about the end of time. In Romans 12, verse 11, he says, And do this, knowing the time... Knowing the time, knowing the time. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? And again, I'm not asking you that. No, know the time. You know, know that time is short. Know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Know the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. What do you mean sleep? Apathy. Being lethargic over your spiritual life. It's... It, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What do you mean salvation? Glorification. He's not talking about sanctification or even justification. He's talking about glorification. In other words, when you got saved, know that the, the time is ticking, 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 and you're closer, whether you die and be with the Lord or the Lord comes back. Verse 12, the night is far spent. Night, ungodliness, wickedness is far spent. And the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What is he getting at? He's saying, listen, know the time. Live for Jesus. Walk in light. Why? Because when you walk in light, you got the armor of God. We live in a wicked world. It can easily overcome you. You can get depressed and frustrated and irritated and almost like you're going home from a funeral as you look at the world events. But wait a second. Know the time. Jesus is coming back. And if we get our eyes on the final kingdom, knowing that all these kingdoms, that was the design that they were all going to come and go. Come and go. But finally, the rock, Christ, is going to hit the feet, and everything beyond that will be destroyed. And he's going to set up the eternal kingdom. Oh, he's going to set up the millennial kingdom, and then we go into the eternal kingdom. And if you keep your eyes on that, boy, you know what that does? (sighs) Man, we're right on track. The only thing I have to make sure I do is keep my eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Not on news, not even on Israel. Jesus Christ. And he'll give you the peace and the joy that he expects us to have. Let's stand as we sing to him.
Father, again, we thank you that you have given us wisdom and understanding as believers. Lord, we know from Scripture, from Revelation, that ultimately the world will turn to one final leader, the Antichrist, the willful king, because they will recognize they need a leader. Lord, I thank you that as believers you have showed us that it's your son, that you're our great leader, that you're the king of kings, that we look to your return. Lord, help us to keep our eyes and uh, in the future, on you. Uh, Father, again, we thank you that it is so clear in Scripture that, that our hope is in you and nothing else. And Lord, as we witness uh, the baptism of a number of individuals, and they proclaimed that they are seeking now to walk in newness of life, Lord, help us to continue to walk in that newness of life. That when fear and anxiety and a lack of peace and joy because a circumstance perhaps invades our spiritual space, that we would confess that very quickly, repent and turn to you and to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the one that's going to give us peace and hope. Lord, help us to, again, continue to keep our eyes on you, to study scripture so that we know the truth, and be able to truly walk in the peace and the joy that you would have for us. Just guide us in this endeavor so that we might truly glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.